Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome into the All Ball Podcast. Your boy, Doug Gottlieb, here. Make sure you follow me on uh, Twitter, at Gottlieb Show. If you're watching on Instagram, on IG Live, at Gottlieb Show as well. And, of course, you can follow my Facebook page. We'll put this out as well. We got two great guests on the podcast. Tim Livingston, who uh, did a podcast which they had Tim Donaghy on. We'll have Tim Donaghy on eventually. But we talked about Donaghy, some of the allegations that he made about the NBA. And I think... I, I think you'll find it fascinating, the connection between that era of the league and the current era of the league. And one official who, ironically, used to have a bunch of phone calls with Tim Donaghy, still officiating at a very high level in the NBA. Any cause for concern, any, we'll, we'll get down to it. Um, also, Marvin Menzi, who, of course, has been the head coach of New Mexico State. He's actually coach of the century in the WAC, will join us. Wait to hear his stories. Okay, do you know he owned a bakery? I didn't. Uh, did you know that he ran a nightclub? I did know that one. 
There's a bunch of other hijinks I think you'll love. Marvelous Marvin Menzi, if you're a West Coast guy, an L.A. guy, Santa Monica City College, San Diego State, Sac State, forgot about them, UNLV, USC, Louisville, New Mexico State, then back to UNLV, now at Grand Canyon. So a lot to get to with him. Let me quickly give you uh, one thought on the Boston Celtics, then I'll give you one thought on why LeBron James should have been the NBA's MVP. First on the Celtics. I understand it sounds like infighting and Marcus Smart uh, cursing at his dudes and stuff being thrown around the locker room. But guess what? I own a dog. Do you own a dog? If you own a dog, you know that dogs occasionally will growl at one each other and one another, and sometimes they'll snap at one another. It doesn't mean that they're going to go full-on dogfight or that you need to gather around and put some money down on old Buffy, who's a uh, sheep-a-doodle, right? No, no, no. Dogs will bite, growl, snap as they kind of, in the pecking order of any pack animal, one has to take the lead. And if not, there'll be some snapping, there'll be some barking, there'll be some biting. That's what you have with the Celtics. Look, any team that's any good that's ever been on, you lose, you're pissed, especially when you have a lead late in the game. Now, for me, I do think this is a big challenge for Brad Stevens, who's seen as a basketball genius, and I agree with that. He's a marvelous coach. But can you take a hold of these massive personalities? And maybe more importantly, can all that great offense, can you run it late, especially when they go to a zone as you saw the Miami Heat did? Big challenge for the Celtics. So anyway, in summation with the Boston Celtics, look, is it problematic that they couldn't score against the zone, that they had a lead late and they took some bad shots and they couldn't get? Yes. But little dudes getting after it in the locker room, getting pissed that you lose. I do consider the alternative, which is what if guys aren't upset and throwing things when they lose a game, they feel like they should rightfully win. Obviously, you got to win game three. If you win game three, we got ourselves a series because anything is possible. They very easily could have won game one and game two. Think about, though, the Celtics have not bounced back from trauma well. They were up three games to none, and that series was about to be over in their previous series, uh, if not for a miracle three by the Toronto Raptors. And they would have been up one game to none if not for Bam Adebayo's amazing block. And, of course, then they turn around and lose game two. I, I think it's a series. I think it probably goes seven but they got to win three if we even want to have four be a question. Now, Giannis is the MVP, and I understand it, and I respect it, and he's a great player, and he didn't play that many minutes, and they won more games than anybody, and stats are great. But, and this is not taking the playoffs or the bubble. I'm just telling you this. Value to a team is not just assists. It's not just stats. It's, if I told you this story, LeBron James, who I do place some of the responsibility for the dysfunction within the Lakers on him last year. But from last year, the end of the season, we have forgotten what a mess they were. He came back, and they lost to teams that were tanking. Then Magic Johnson quit before the last game. No exit interviews. They fire Luke Walton. Well, first they didn't fire him, then they did fire him. Then they were going to hire Ty Lue, but Ty Lue balked at only a three-year deal. They hire Frank Vogel, and it was like, eh. Eh. All right? Hire Frank Vogel. And then they hired Jason Kidd as assistant. People are like, well, Jason Kidd's going to take the job. The best defensive team in the West, LeBron's not their best defender, but his leadership is why. He led the league in assist in order to get Anthony Davis going. And look, you can tell me that the roster's good. I will tell you that Danny Green is washed up. Kyle Kuzma's had a bad year. Rondo is really over the hill, and he's been banged up much of the year. They didn't get Darren Collison. 
I mean, go through that roster and outside of Anthony Davis, who's playing out of his mind because LeBron is getting in the ball and talking him up. They became the best defensive team in the West. They had the best record in the West. At the end of the regular part of the regular season before it got shut down, they beat the Bucs. They beat the Clippers. They were the best team. The cohesion of that team is because of their leadership. Your leadership is your best player. The best player is LeBron James. He should be the MVP. That's just me. All right, let's let's get you. It's a really interesting podcast out there investigating Tim Donaghy, the claims he made. Some were validated, some were not. Let's check in with Tim Livingston. Livingston, of course, uh, hosts the Whistleblower podcast. He joins us on the All Ball podcast. Um, uh, Tim, what was the the impetus? What why create this uh, this podcast? The impetus was well. I grew up, Doug. I'm going to give you a shout out real quick because I'm a Jewish point guard from Southern California, nice. and uh, you're you're our idol. Um, you're you're what we all aspire to be, and most of us lack the athleticism to become that. But I think the impetus was I grew up playing basketball, and I love basketball. I love the sports. So when this scandal happened and all this came out, uh, it hurt me at such a deep level. It really rocked me to my core. And this investigation, which has taken place over eight years, was it was kind of a healing process. It was I wanted to understand everything that happened, the darkest thing that's ever happened in the NBA in basketball, in my opinion. Um, and that's where this odyssey really kind of kicked off from. Um, okay, so when you when you approached Tim Donaghy, like were you friend of court? Like because that that's that's actually what what I struggle with is like what I think he did regardless of why he did it or how what he exposed by doing it i i mean i it it strikes at the very heart or the core of what sports is about you know on the opposite you know, the opposite of what sports is you know supposed to be about and i mean it's like it, it's like one of those he's not a murderer right i don't think he like killed anybody but outside of doing physical harm to another human being it's pretty bad what he did how do you you know how do you approach even the discussion with him it's a really good question. So Donahue and I originally connected in 2012 and we connect, he reached out to me. I wrote an article that said, yeah, this guy is kind of a schmuck, but I kind of believe some of the things that he's saying about the system. Um, I watch a lot of basketballs. I'm sure you do. And I'm sure a lot of your audience does. And there were games during that year of the NBA, late nineties, early two thousands where something didn't feel right. And so that's where our relationship started from. And over the course of this investigation and our first three episodes of the podcast, um, Tim Don, I mean, look, Tim Don, he's not happy with me right now because I exposed, he's been lying about a lot of stuff for a lot of years. And we exposed a lot of that, right? We, we exposed that the money that he claims that he brought in during the course of the scheme, he claims that he made $30,000 in the primary season that this took place. He was, fixing games over the course of four years, um, we kind of dispel that pretty pretty soundly. We also, I mean, Donnie's also claimed that he didn't, quote, fix games. And we have a lot of evidence now that, that he did, and we present that accordingly. So Donahue's not an empathetic character by any means, but what's interesting about Donahue and, and the reason this is titled Whistleblower is the idea that he was blowing the proverbial whistle about something, about a larger problem within officiating in basketball. And this is focused on the NBA, but 
we found evidence, which we're not even going to get into in this podcast, that are permeated deeper than that, that it went into college basketball and then went into baseball, football, tennis. It's really just looking at all sports. This is an investigation into corruption at every level um, through, through the lens of, you know, we're trusting officials, we're trusting referees to, to be, to police our sports. And in this instance, with Donahue, he's obviously not a trustworthy policeman, yeah. but with a lot of other, with a lot of other officials, in my opinion, and after listening to this podcast where, you know, we break down Michael Franzis, uh, former mobster says he had two NBA referees on his payroll in the early nineties. Um, there's a lot of evidence tying Scott Foster to Tim Donahue and their friendship and their relationship was extremely suspicious. And nobody's ever looked into that. And Scott Foster is a top ranked official in the NBA. So we wanted to just dive into this investigation and really start to unravel a lot of this. And, and I think what we found is pretty fascinating. Okay, so what, what, did, what did you find? So with Scott Foster, Scott Foster and Tim Donahue exchanged 134 phone calls from October 2006 to March 2007, or excuse me, April 2007, during the height of the scheme. Mm-hmm. Scott Foster and Tim Donahue always talked immediately after Tim talked to his bookie or excuse me, not always, but almost every time they talked was right after Tim talked to his bookie. The duration of their phone calls was two minutes long. The NBA, in its uh, Pedowitz report, which it published right after this scandal, um, they claimed that Foster, Foster says they talked to kill time. Doug, I mean, first off, I haven't talked to another human being 134 times over the course of six months. That's not my wife ever. Um, but if I'm calling you to kill time, I don't think we're talking for two minutes. Um, Scott Foster, so Donahue's co-conspirator, Tommy Martino, who he shared everything with, whenever Scott Foster called Tim Donahue, stepped outside to take those phone calls. Um, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence around Scott Foster that nobody's ever investigated. And I don't, I don't understand why. Um, and I don't think personally, I just don't think until he sits down and answers some of these questions about his relationship with Tim Donahue, um, that he should be refing the NBA's most important games. Another quick detail, every call that Donahue had several phones, he was calling Foster from the phone that he used for gambling. This was the phone that he was calling his bookie from and only people related to the betting scheme. And that was the phone he was calling Scott Foster from. There's just a lot of, a lot of questions you know, regarding the guy who now is the most controversial referee today, 2020 in the NBA, that nobody's ever answered i just don't understand why um i i it's it's at that's fascinating um wh- where else in basketball is this you know scott foster obviously is a big name is there anybody else who's currently involved in the sport that is at at, at least mildly suspicious in my opinion not really i think the nba has done a really good job 13 years later i think when you think back to that era i can name and again i I'm probably not the best example because I've spent so much of my life researching this, but I feel like as basketball fans, there's guys from that era, Dick Pavetta, Joey Crawford, Danny Crawford, just, just referees that were just refing every game that were part of the show that we really knew. If you look at the NBA today, most of the referees are anonymous, which they should be. That's part of the vocation is that you should be, you should only exist in the shadows. This is we're we're tuning in to watch LeBron James and watch James Harden and watch the stars. And I think a big problem with that era was that a lot of these referees um, made themselves a part of the show in a really suspicious way. 
So I think the NBA today is in a great place. I think the game's in a, in a great place. I think in 2006, 2007, you have to look at a lot of these games and a lot of the free throw discrepancies in the, in the playoff games that Donahue referenced. I mean, we've had games. There's obviously the 2002 Western Conference Finals, which is probably the most controversial game in NBA history where the Lakers shot 27 free throws in the fourth quarter. But there's, since we've started this podcast, so many other playoff games that year have been put on our radar as, as highly suspicious where people thought, you know, the games were amiss. We interviewed George Carl, and Carl referenced the, the 1993 Western Conference Finals, Game 7. The, the, the Suns shot 64 free throws in that game. Carl said it took everything in his power and, and all of his assistant coaches not to get kicked out in the first quarter. And there's all these games where it seems like somebody wanted a certain team to win. And that's what the second part of our investigation is about. Just is there any truth there? Is it, is it just referees had a bad game or is there something more suspicious at play? And that's what we dive into in the second half of the podcast. But to answer your question, I think the NBA is in a good place now. And for those of us who love basketball, it's nice to see, but there's still a long way to go. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, like, look, it's, it's interesting. You're like, on one hand, the NBA is in a good place. The other hand, tonight we have a game seven, and Scott Foster, I think, is going to be one of the refs, right? And you're, I, I think so. Yes. So it's a, it's a, it's a bizarre uh, kind of uh, uh, place, place to be. I, I guess here's the, here's the most important question. Um, if it's on the up and up now, do you believe it was on the up and up then in terms of the ultimate outcome of the most important NBA games? Oh, that's a good question. Um, after this investigation, so we released episode four on Thursday. So I can't say as much as I can say in, in six weeks. But after, after this investigation, after devoting eight, eight years of my life to answering that question, uh, the answer is no. I don't think that those games were played with the integrity that we expect in, in the NBA and in a thing that we care a lot about. I don't think those games, I think all those games, I think there's a lot of games in here. It's not every game. It's not every championship. There's not an asterisk by every championship. But if you look at certain games, which we're going to examine the podcast, and you look at the system, I think you really, I think we as basketball fans have a lot of questions that need to be answered by the NBA. Uh, uh, last, last thing. Um, the question every you, you mentioned, you grew up as a Jewish basketball player in Southern California. Um, are you a Jordan guy or a LeBron guy? Oh, God, that is that is tough. I'm actually a LeBron guy. Um, and that's probably, you know, I I'm 34. So Jordan's peak. I was I was young. Um, I don't remember his greatness. Watching the last dance was was for me. I'm like the, the exact target audience because Jordan peaked right before I could really understand how incredible he was. But so maybe I'm going back. Maybe I am a Jordan guy. Maybe why, maybe why, that's why this question is so hard. But I've been, you know, as that debate has raged on, I've been a LeBron guy just because, um, I don't know, I've watched his greatness in person, and, and it's, it's so extraordinary. But don't, I hope your audience doesn't, like, not listen to the Whistleblower podcast because of that. Um, uh, it's such a divisive argument. Is the Whistleblower podcast only, only examining basketball? Yes. Um, Franzese, you know, I mentioned earlier, like, we interviewed uh, Franzese, for, for those that don't know, um, former Colombo Cap, Capo in the Colombo crime family, um, was featured in Netflix's Fear City. He's probably, you know, one of the most open and outspoken mobsters who just 
He was brilliant. He was called the Yuppie Don. He was concocting schemes for the mob that were making tens of millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars a week. Um, he's probably, you know, in my research in the mob, which is not as thorough as, as it is in the NBA refereeing, he might be the most brilliant mobster of all time. And so Franzese says he has two NBA referees on his pay. He had two NBA referees on his payroll that weren't Tim Donahue. He also says that his game fixing operation spread to football, college basketball, um, baseball, and tennis. Um, tennis is the easiest sport to fix. That's a different conversation for a different day. You just need one guy. There's a lot of ways to fix a tennis match, but in basketball, he had referees on his payroll and he just describes it as easy. You know, the point spreads five. Um, it's not, you know, you're not like fixing a basketball game in relation to the spread or the over under. It was easy. They just called a lot of fouls, right? One way or the other. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it, I think it's definitely something we have to examine in all sports. I think basketball and tennis are the easiest sports to fix, but over the years, there's definitely been game fixing in in pretty much every sport um, at varying levels. Um, so I, I can't imagine any sport that hasn't been fixed in some capacity in the past 30 years. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, were there any players um, it, it, that that were involved in any of these schemes for so basketball? Franzese says, yeah, so Franzese says he did have players and NBA personnel. I pressed him on that. He didn't really, you know, he wasn't going to give names, but he said he had players and personnel, but that referees were his preferred mechanism for game fixing because they had so much control. You know, if a player, um, you know, is, is bombing, the coach can take him out, right? Um, so he says he did have players, basketball players, in that era in the 80s and 90s who he was who he was working with. And again, I don't know, you know, he didn't name names, but he was a New York-based guy. And a lot of his operation took place in, in that region. That doesn't mean anything. It could have been somebody for the San Antonio Spurs or Clippers or whoever. But he says he did have players. Um, for the most part, though, that's that's all we have on the players' front is is that allegation from Franzese. I don't have really any other, you know, obviously there's the Boston College scandal and a handful of others. Northwestern, but, yeah. When I was a kid. Northwestern, yeah. 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 But, but that's, Arizona State. I think, yep. And, and so I think it's on the college level, you know, if it was Hofstra versus Northeastern and, you know, I think those were probably those games were, if you can get a player, Hofstra star player, you're probably in good shape. But for the most part, his, his scheme revolved around referees. Hmm. Can't wait to hear it. Um, listen, in the meantime, uh, great work. Thanks for joining us Thank you, and, uh, and we'll promote it. And I appreciate you being my guest and, and the shout out was really nice. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks so much, Doug. All right, thanks, Tim. That was really interesting. All right, from Tim Livingston, a, a, a very colorful former head coach in college basketball is a dear friend of my brother who you've heard on this podcast and a close friend of mine. His name is Marvin Menzi. Marvelous to anybody in the West Coast or anybody who's ever been alongside him. Just has a great way about him. Wait till you hear his personal story as he joined me to tell, tell us what life was like, how he became a coach after being just some regular student at UCLA. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. 
That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So marvelous. Let, let's let's start. You go to college where you you went to you went to where to graduate? You graduated UCLA, didn't you? Yeah, graduated UCLA. Um, went to Hamilton High School. LA guy. LA guy. I'm aware you're an LA guy. So what did you were you were you a manager at UCLA? Like what was what 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 was your UCLA student uh, life like? My I was a coach and I coached Special Olympics at UCLA. That was my that was my first experience of coaching. That's awesome. <laughs> I had no athletic ability at all. Unlike you and your brother, I didn't have a chance to play college ball. I was uh, I loved it. I played midnight league, but I. I just couldn't uh, couldn't manage the big time like you guys, but uh, no, I, UCLA was awesome. Enjoyed uh, the whole journey there. Was you know joined a fraternity, Phi Beta Sigma fraternity, and got fully acclimated into a bunch of the stuff that a lot of times the you know typical student athletes don't get a chance to enjoy. And I I got I got the most out of that. Yeah, no 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 question. Okay, so you get done with school. What's your plan? All right. Good question. I, I come out of there, and you got to think back now. i, I got to think back further than you. So I'm 58 now, so I'm thinking back. Let's see. All right, I want to own my own business. I want to make a bunch of money like most people coming out of college, and but didn't have a specific plan other than I knew I wanted to do my own thing. I worked in a, in a uh, completion bond company in Beverly Hills for a uh, fireman's insurance fund, and and I did that for about four months and realized I never wanted to sit behind the desk for the rest of my life. So I just 
I just started dabbling in different things. Owned a bakery. I don't know if you knew that. I had a had a the marvelous brown, fudge and brownie company in, in South Central LA for had that for about four years before we sold it. So we we did that. We actually started out in Westwood, right down the street from uh, from UCLA, but uh, wasn't able. Wait, to wait, wait! You owned a bit. How do you come to own a bakery? <laughs> well, I worked at Famous Amos when I was in high school. Okay, for, remember the one? Remember the one on Sunset, like the original Famous Amos. I, okay? I, I know. I, I can nod and pretend like I know what you're talking about. But I'm a white kid, okay. from, white kid from Orange <laughs> County. Like I, we used to come and play basketball games in South Central at Challengers Boys but, Challengers Boys Club on the weekend. Okay, and then everything moved to like Dominguez High School and Compton College and Victoria Park was where we played Slam and Jam. But that's like Carson. That's not even in L.A. So I can okay. nod and say, Oh yeah, yeah, I know Famous Amos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I have no idea what you're talking about. Still, okay, how do you, how I do you... thought for sure you were uh, uh, would be a, a knowledgeable of famous Amos cookies. I know what. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. There's a difference now. Do I know what famous Amos cookies is? Of course, I know what famous Amos cookies is. Do yeah, I know the okay, famous okay. Amos on Sunset? Right. You know the famous Amos. On... Oh yeah, I know that place. That's the spot. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about there. Okay, okay, good point. Point taken. All right, you, okay, you, so, so, you, you, you nailed it. So okay, here's so, the deal. Let, okay, me, go ahead. let me give you a little more background on Yes. This. So I'm I'm hustling to make a buck, you know, and so I'm in high school. I, I'm catching the number seven bus to Sunset and, and uh, just off of Sunset and La Brea, and um, I'm working over there. Like, uh, we're just we're just grinding in the back of the bakery, burning up. And I'm seeing all this money come through this little tiny cookie shop that Famous Amos owned. And uh, so I said, you know what, man, this guy's killing it. And it was, we had a blast. It was a great family atmosphere. So I graduated from UCLA. I'm like, well, what do I know? What do I, what, what am I good at? Well, I know how to make cookies. <laughs> I hit up a bunch of my, my uh, family members and friends, put a business plan together, went out and raised a pretty good amount of money and, and uh, actually Almost got it opened in West L.A., in, in Westwood, actually, right off of Weyburn there. Almost got it open for commercial, but then we got slammed on the uh, on the last certification, whatever it was. So I moved it into wholesale, moved into South Central, and, and had a blast doing it for several years while I was coaching. This whole time, I'm, I'm kind of... That was my way of giving back, you know. I didn't have a lot of money for, for tithing at the church, so I, I decided to, to be a service guy. And uh, that's, that was kind of my beginning of my coaching career was just kind of giving back to my old high school and coaching Special Olympics at, the, at, at UCLA in the summer. Okay, so how did, okay, you get to, how did you start coaching well, like at Santa Monica City? Was that your first coaching gig? Like, What was your first coaching gig out of college? It was actually at Hamilton. We, uh, the former, my former uh, I did play, uh, you know, football and, and, and ran track and field and so forth, cross country, stuff like that. But so my former coach, who was also my junior high school teacher, moved up from Lewis Pasture Junior High, which is now Laces. And he, uh, he asked me to come help him out uh, because they just didn't have enough coaches, volunteer coaches. So I said, sure, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll coach some basketball. I love it. You know, so I started studying it a little bit. I was doing some AAU stuff and. I said, you know what, this is pretty fun. And it kind of trickled into an opportunity with John McMullen, as you referenced, at Santa Monica College. Uh, he saw me bringing over the guys every year to summer league from Hamilton to Santa Monica and said, hey, uh, 
you know, this guy would be a good assistant. I can I can get you a few bucks, probably more than what you're making, which was absolutely true because I was making nothing. And, and then the, uh, the, the Santa Monica journey started, which was awesome. We went like eight years there, had a great time, found out that was my passion over making cookies and running nightclubs. I think I, I don't know if I ever told you my nightclub story. I was, so, I was, I was getting to that. Uh, that one. I, that one I knew we'll get to that in a second, but keep going. Okay. Well, so then I, uh, so then I go from Santa Monica college. I get an opportunity to, to I'll just give you the quick resume bounce from there. I go to Santa Monica to Sacramento state for with a Don, year with Don, Don Newman. Newman. Sure. I go back to, to Santa Monica for a year. And then I go to, I get just incredible, fortune of working with coach fisher in his inaugural year at san diego state we do that for four years i go to sc with henry bibby then i go to Lon kruger at unlv then i go to to rick patino at louisville louisville to new mexico state new mexico state back to unlv um okay wait you're you're coaching in junior college as an assistant and you ran a nightclub yes <laughs> that's that's just like it sounds too it's pretty pretty entertaining so i'm at uh, at this time, I think we were like early nineties and, and I'm just, uh, tr- again, trying to figure out a way to make a, a buck. I'm making a little bit at Santa Monica, but not enough to, you know, to live where I want to live and so on and so forth. So I ended up, uh, joining some friends. One of my frat brothers asked me to help him out cause he knew I knew everybody. And, and, uh, we started an organization called the Highland Jazz Society. And it was a great concept. We had comedy and jazz from like um, 8 to 11. And then we would just go into dancing. We'd actually literally move the chairs and tables out of the way and dance right there where people were eating earlier. It was an old school like dinner dinner show and, and dance. I mean, we had, and we had it rolling, Doug. I mean, we had big-time celebrities coming through. We had big-time entertainment uh, we made a, a, a really good run. I think we did it for maybe 10, 11 years. And I mean, Wesley Snipes. We, I turned away Tupac at the door. Tupac comes to the door. He's not. He's got some of his boys with him, but we had a strict dress code, you know. So yeah. I, I said, man, I know who you are. I said, but he was just kind of up and coming, obviously. So I said, but you know, I can't let you in with you guys dressed like that. I said, if you, if you guys want to come back, you know, dressed appropriately, I'll let everybody in free. And he did. They came back. They had a great time. But. Shaq, Kobe, Lakers, Rams, Eric Dickerson, all those guys used to frequent the spot. So I wish I would have, I wish I would have utilized connection. I wish I knew about relationships and connections and networking back then. Like, but I was just trying to get that twenty dollars at the door. That was it. That was my goal. I had to pay rent. <laughs> um, okay, so so during this time, you know, you're making a good amount of money, a little bit of money. You're coaching yep. Santa Monica. You had, but you had players like stay with you, right? Like that's the 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 California junior college thing is you got to find an assistant coach or somebody that'll take in some of these kids because you don't have dorms, you don't have apartments, you don't have money. You you had like what? Oh yeah. You'd have, you'd have Kenny Bruner stay with you, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, Kenny Bruner, Gumby, James Gray, uh, another you know L.A. legend. Um, uh, I had Sidney Faison. Who Sidney Faison? I play with Sidney Faison. Um, he played with our team like sixth through maybe eighth or ninth grade, right? Went on to play no in the kidding. NFL. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sydney, we had all those guys live with me. I had a two bedroom apartment and uh they I had the one room and they had a we made the living room a room and, and we made the other bedroom, you know, put two beds in there and so I always kept four guys that 
were the were the uh, the ones that might need me the most <laughs> on the team. They would always have that option to stay with. Me. Now so, you you are yeah, you, you are you are a sneaky amazing chef. Where does that come from? <laughs> I have no idea. I guess my parents, you know, my mom and dad. More so, my my, my dad probably. You know, my both my parents are from West Indies, West Indies from Guyana, and uh, so I used to watch my dad cook all the time: crab curry and lobster tacos and all this, you know, exotic, crazy, really tasty, cool meals. And I just kind of got into it, uh, you know, watching him. And we ate very, 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 very well growing up. And so I just adopted that that passion he had for cooking. What's your, what's the best meal you made? Probably my gumbo. Um, my wife, Tammy, you know, is from uh, uh, her family. Her roots are from New Orleans. And I just loved the meal. So I just really wanted to figure out how to make it uh, really, really well. And so I practiced and screwed up a bunch of pots. But I finally figured it out. Entered a uh, entered a cooking contest in when I was living in Palms, working at Santa Marta. I took third behind two New Orleans grandmas, so I wasn't too hurt for <laughs> taking third. But I got a fifty dollars gift certificate, so that was cool. When you were at Santa Monica City, in addition to you know, Sidney Faison playing in the NFL and Kenny Bruner and uh, Gumby and all these dudes coming through the football team, I'm close with T.J. Hushmanzada. Hush was there, mm. and and mm-hmm. and Chad Johnson was there too, right? Yeah, Chad tried out for uh, for the. He wanted to keep. He he asked me the two both years of his age, begging me to get on the team, and I was like, Chad, you're gonna play in the NFL. Like Coach Taylor would kill me if I let you play on the basketball team. He was a great personality. He's just like he was in the NFL as who he was in in college. He just had the big smile and great confidence, and he's a really really good dude. You know, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed being around him in the junior college days. Um. Okay. So. You when you interviewed when you interviewed with with Steve Fisher, what did you do to stand out? Uh, you know there was a there was a it was going to be tough, right? Even even my current boss at the time, John McMullen, said, "You know, Marvin, I don't want to bust your bubble, but it's I mean, this is Steve Fisher, a national championship, you know, coach, and you don't know him at all, and he's and you don't have a lot of connections to him. It's going to be tough for you to get that gig, so." So coach kind of motivated me to be different. So it's funny you ask that because I said, all right, what am I going to do creatively to, to, uh, to just get, get him to look at me a little bit more? Because I knew I could do a good job for him. It was just a matter of convincing him. So I remember one time I, I knew he was coming down to school. He was recruiting uh, Marcus Mason at the time. I ended up going to Xavier. But uh, Marcus was uh, – he was coming to see Marcus. So I went over to a restaurant across the street on Pico, I forget the name of it now, and I said, listen, I'm going to, hopefully I'm going to bring this guy, Coach Fisher, in, and the, and the uh, bartender was like, oh my God, Steve Fisher, man, but yeah, bring him through, bring him through. And I'm like, all right, well, here's the deal. I don't, I, I need you guys to, I gave him my credit card, and I said, I need you guys to not charge me. You could charge it on the card later. I said, but I want you to pretend like I am your guy, you know, I'm just doing this great job over at Santa Monica right, right, right. at the college cross street. So, and these guys are all actors at, at these restaurants anyway. Right. So he told the staff and so forth. So coach Fisher comes over and he's about to get on the road. I said, Hey coach, you know, it's a traffic's horrible right now back on that four five. I said, you want to stop and get a bite to eat? And on the chance that he was going to say, yes, I already had it all laid out. Doug. So he, we go across the street and it's like, 
clockwork. We walk in, they're like, it's cheers, you know, hey, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> and so we go, we sit, we have this great meal. They come over to, uh, I said, can I get the check? They, oh, coach, you know, your money's no good here. Oh, it's I the mean, best. They it, it was awesome, man. We, it just, it just, so Coach Fish is looking like, who is this guy? <laughs> who is this dude, you know? And that was one of the things that did that. Uh, there are several little other tricky things. You know, people normally send FedExes and and uh, 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 top ten reasons to hire this guy and so forth. Well, I have cartoonists draw up my stuff, professional artists, and buddies of mine. That so I just tried to really stand out from the other candidates he was looking at. Um, so you get the job there. I would say, you know, the the biggest name player you signed was Evan Burns. Okay, so but Evan was what mm-hmm. committed to going to UCLA, but well, that was a, during a time when UCLA you had to pass calculus in high school. Is that how you guys? Right. Got, and so then he what decommitted, and then you guys got like how did that how did that work that you landed Evan? Well, we I was recruiting him like crazy, and everybody was like, I was you know I'm, I'm a first year or second year Division one coach just fresh out of out of, out of junior college, and I, and everybody's like Marvin, you're not getting at McDonald's All-American, you're not getting Evan Burns to go to San Diego State. So kind of like, you know, slow your roll. And I was, I didn't care. I was just like, well, that would be great if I could get that kid. So I just was a pit bull, man, and I worked, uh, you know, the dynamics of the family. I knew his uncles. They had went to Hamilton, and, and I had uh, just developed a great relationship with his mom and, and uh, his uh, stepdad, Bob, and his mom, Shelly, who's passed by now, got at rest her soul, but we had a, we just developed a great friendship and relationship. So he actually went to UCLA and was enrolled in summer school there, where he was about to start summer school. He was on campus when he got the word that he wasn't accepted. Well, all right, plan B, we got to move fast, right? Well, who's next up that I'm most comfortable with? Marvin Menzies in San Diego State. <laughs> and, then, and then the rest was history. He came over, we got him in the summer, he ended up having a Great freshman year, I think it was newcomer to year or something, and then and then went on to 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 play a little bit after college. Um, what was your experience like to be? Now you're back at USC, right? So you get your yeah. four years. You're back at USC. Henry Bibby was there. You guys had dudes, but what was that like for you? Mentioned LA guy. You know, right. you'd come up through the junior college ranks. You guys started killing it at San Diego State because I played against that first team that was dog shit. I mean, we're right, right. We're, we're, I, I don't know if you, I, I don't know if my brother told you that story, but we're playing you guys in Oklahoma City, and we're up forty to fourteen at the half. And coach, like playing his day, like right in front of the team at halftime, he turns to me, and goes, "You tell your brother you got to get some players. They're gonna get their ass fired, right?" Like it was, <laughs> and and you know, four years later, you got the best team in the league. Uh, you got some transfers, some dudes from L.A. that people missed on. You got Evan Burns right. coming. Okay, so then you go to USC. What was that like for you to be back in L.A.? Uh, it, was, it was great. I was actually living in Azusa because I couldn't afford to live in L.A. Uh, in a, don't in they don't don't they do uh, interest free loans at SC? Wasn't that or was it not? Yeah, that? yeah, yeah. Not 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 in my tenure. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good. I mean, it was home, you know, so I could, I could, uh, you know, just bop over to my mom's house anytime. And uh, it was, it was, all my brothers are still there. So it was good to have family around coming to games and so forth. And, but the, I mean, Henry Bibby is, I mean, he's a really good dude. He's, he's kind of uh, got a reputation of being a, a little standoffish, or, or, or not standoffish, but just kind of an NBA, you know, guy where yeah. you don't really, you can reach out to him and he'll say, 
all the right things, but he's not going to ingratiate you at all. And it's not true. The dude is such a good dude, man. Like, like he was really supportive of of all the coaches. If he had a really late practice, he would he say, "Hey, you guys, I'll cover it." And you say, "You guys, you know, can be with your families." And he was really, really good. Of all the guys I worked for, he was he might have been one of the best at in-game management, like during the course of the game, just being able to identify something and tweak it. I mean, he would put a play in that we never even worked on. And I don't know if that was for good or for bad, but it was, it was very ingenuitive and we would get good looks. We just didn't have guys that could make shots outside of maybe Desmond Farmer, <laughs> but that was about it. But, but it was, uh, but it was, it was a great experience working for him because I really got to know him and he was, uh, he was a good dude. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to fifteen hundred dollars again sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and game sense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park that's 1-800-GAMBLER If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Um, 
Okay, so what led you to go and work for Lon Kruger at UNLV? Uh, honestly, USC was on the on the chopping block, and it looked like uh, they weren't going to survive. And I got a call uh, of interest to go to UNLV, but I didn't want to just leave uh, Henry because he gave me an opportunity. So I go into his office and said, "Coach, if you if I can just get one more year on my contract." That's guaranteed. So if they do let you go, at least I know I'll be good. But they weren't willing to do that, so I I just did what was best for my my family and took the job with with Coach Kruger um, over at UNLV. That was his first year as well. We got him some guys. Actually, I was only there for a year, but when we left, they went to the Sweet 16 with the with the guys that we recruited. So Wink, I felt was, good about was Wink, was Wink your guy? Who got him Wink? No, Wink was uh, Lou, Lou Hill. Lou Hill got Wink. We obviously team recruited him, but uh, but he was the point He was the point on Wink. He had the, the biggest Well, hold on. So they went to the tournament. His son came over from Arizona State, his grad transfer. Wink was there. Those yeah. are the – so uh, who got Lou Almondson? Was that you? Yeah, well, he was – no, Lou was No, there. no. Got, so, look, oh, yeah, White, these are all the – Wendell White. Wendell White's a good player, but all the – I just named the three best dudes. You didn't get them, Mark. No, you're taking, no, 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 you're no, taking no. credit. What about Joel? Oh, Joel, remember, remember, Joel Anthony? Joel Anthony? Yeah, he played a little he, bit in the NBA he, he for the Miami Heat. He wasn't Heat. bad. He's got an NBA championship. He, he wasn't bad. You remember, do you remember the big – they had a big kid uh, from Africa, and I'm drawing a love, blank on his name. He was, they won the championship at, uh, at, at Compton College for Damon Powell. Holy smokes, why am I forgetting his name? It'll come to me. But but he was uh, he started for him too. So I had three starters. And Joe Darger I recruited Darger. there as well. Yeah. And Joe Darger I spoke with yesterday. He actually lives here in Phoenix. We're supposed to get together next week. He does flooring and stuff now. So he's going to do my floor for me. So now, Joe, that's a perfect example, Doug, of why I got into coaching. Oh, I, never even, I never even coached Joe. He, I recruited him there, and we're still friends to this day because it's at the end of the day, man, that's why I got into this whole thing was to kind of give back and teach and give life lessons and kind of that was it. And I and I just thought about that as you said that I didn't even coach Joe, but he helped them win. But it wasn't. It's not even about that. It was about the relationships, man. And 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 listen, here's my hundred year theory. Okay. Okay. In a hundred years, we're all dead. What did you do? What was your were you a drop in the ocean or were you a tidal wave or a ripple because of all the people that you touched and then they went and touched because of what you taught them? So I'm trying to be a tidal wave in a hundred years. <laughs> that's, right. that's my theory. That's my theory. And I'm uh, sticking to it. Okay, wait. So you go did you did a home visit with Joe Darger, right? Here you are, marvelous Marvin Menzi from 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 Los Angeles, right? <laughs> who right. who had a who had a, a nightclub, a bakery Coach of JUCO, you, you know, taking right. anybody. Joe Darger, I believe, if I remember, like seven siblings. There's like eight kids, right? Great memory. From, exactly right. From Utah, so I'm get like yep. Mormon. Eight. So what? What? What do you remember? What was that home visit like? All right. So, <laughs> so we were talking about this ironically just a few days ago when I was talking to Joe. So we go into the house. There's. I'm not kidding you. We're at a dinner table. There's like 12 people sitting at this dinner table, okay, because the, the coach from, from UNLV is there. So, so we go in, and I'm telling stories, and they're laughing, and we're having a blast. And he's got a nephew that he said, hey, coach, you got to see this. I said, see what? So his nephew's like maybe five, four or five years old. 
and I want you to picture like a, a an arc in a in a in a house that's just like a, a a walkway, you know, and there's that arc there, right? So the kid, I can't forget his, I, I can't remember his name, but he he grabs the wall and starts to climb up, like he's the strongest little kid I've ever met in my life. He climbs up the wall through the top of the ceiling, and he's like ten feet up in the air, upside down, continues to climb, and goes up and comes down on the other side. I've never seen anything like it. it was like a like a Cirque du Soleil, you know, show in the middle of dinner. And uh, so Joe, Joe says, actually, he, he, he lives here now. He lives in Phoenix. So I can't wait to see him again. He's probably, probably doesn't look anything like he'd be a dad, but he's probably still as strong. So home visits, top five all time, just as far as connection and chemistry. And I was just myself, and they were just a great family, and it was just a, a good fit for him to go. And he had a good career there. Yeah, and that's the, you know, outside of Utah, Vegas is, is like the second – uh, most populated area with Mormons. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, no doubt. No um, doubt. Okay, so then you go work for Rick Pitino. Now, Lon Kruger, mm-hmm. Lon Kruger, by all estimations, is like all-time greatest guys, super classy, loves to play golf, but, you know, just a just a complete gentleman. Now, that's not to take any shot at Rick Pitino, but Pitino is a, again, this is based upon reputation, especially then a very, very demanding boss to work for. He made you work out. You had to work out with the team or with a trainer. What was the workout schedule? You we had. We had. He told me. <laughs> he told me when I got hired. Okay, you're gonna because I needed to lose some weight. So he said, "All right, well, you're gonna lose the weight. You're gonna you're gonna work out with the uh, uh, in the mornings early. If you don't make weight uh, on Fridays, then you know you can't go out and recruit." And he said it very calm and just. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, what do, you, what do you mean make weight? Well, we'll have an established weight that you have to have every week. And if you don't make it, then you can't go out on the road. And 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 we'll help you continue to work because you'll just have to get up earlier and just start working out with the with the strength and conditioning coach. And we'll, we'll be a little bit more hands-on with it. And I'm going – I'm kind of chuckling in the in the interview. And I'm going, is he serious? And he wasn't playing. I lost 50 pounds. When I was with him, I got down to one eight. I think it was one eighty five. Damn. Uh, yeah, it was no joke. I didn't think I could lose fifty pounds, but hey, he's he's a he's a great motivator. Let's put it like that. <laughs> um, intense, intense, detail oriented, great at skill development. One of the best I've ever worked for. I learned a lot from him. Obviously, he takes a lot of pride in mentoring his coaches. Probably the most loyal guy you want to meet in the business when it comes to looking after his family, his guys. I, I mean, if I was involved with any job, you know, Coach P was would didn't hesitate to want to call. And that, and, and to even get me involved with a job where, some, where most guys are kind of like, well, you know, if you get in, you know, I'll call. It's, you know, if they don't want to – some guys are like that. You know, he wasn't. He was like, you know, we talk all the time still, and he was just – he was amazing. No, he's a, I, I have said he is the greatest – Modern day basketball mind. I mean, pe- what people forget is when he was with the Celtics, they tanked before it was popular. Tank. They had two lottery right. picks. They they just missed on on Tim Duncan. Um, when he right. was with the Knicks, that was the first NBA team to really embrace the three point shot. And he obviously right. used that when he was at, at Providence. They went to the Final Four. Um, his mm. mixture of of pressure and into zones, and then he he changed and morphed his offense when he's at Kentucky, and then at Louisville. Uh, he's a, he's just an amazing basketball mind and basketball coach, and it it really is a shame because of you know how it ended at Louisville. I think cast a shadow over what was 
really re- remarkable, remarkable run to a national championship, and and what really happened, what that, that program was really like when you were there. Oh, it, it uh, you know, so when I got calls on this from all kind of media when everything was jumping off, I was at UNLV, UNLV when he was uh, uh, going under that firestorm there, and I just used to tell everyone the same thing, which was. That wouldn't have happened while we were there. I just cannot see, like, he he is so different. Um, I shouldn't say so different. Yeah, he's, no, he is. He is detailed. I'll give you but, an example, but it's not the same, though, now. Like, I had a coach, I'll, I'll leave his name out of it, who told me okay. in his next, before this stuff went down, he was like, hey, um, something really weird happened when we played Louisville. I go, what, what do you mean weird? He's like, we played him at their place. We, mm-hmm. we, when I showered and we went out to our bus, his car was already gone. Whereas in the past, it'd be like he and I had heard like at the end, and this is one of the reasons it went bad, was at the end, he spent so much time in Miami and so much time in New York. And he was he had just kind of grown past the everyday thing and allowed others to take care of the little things. And that's where it went astray. That's what I was told that a guy who. OK, uh, I'll, ad- I'll address that, because I can tell you this. I stayed close to the program after I was gone, and I knew a bunch of the assistants and was close with them, obviously. and um, Well, not obviously, but was close with them, helped coach and assessing who to hire in a couple of those spots. Uh, Kevin Keats, you know, and I were buddies from when he was a prep school coach and so forth. But he- And then Andre played for him, obviously. So here's uh, here's the deal. I think Coach, and I don't know, you say his car may be gone. Okay, what was he doing? Who, who Did he have an appointment? Who knows? You know, I mean, you can't judge anything off his car not being there. I mean, the bottom line was the man cared about his players. He cared about his staff. He was definitely in touch with the accountability portion. How, how it happened and how it unfolded, I wasn't there. I can't tell you, obviously, but I can't for a minute believe that he knew what was going on. And now, is that his fault? Okay, well, he's already said that, yes, okay, I, I, I should have done a better job in, in uh, maybe this monitoring the assistance or something like that. But, but I cannot believe for a minute that he knew. It just, it just is, it's the man I work for would have, I mean, he would have fired me in a New York minute had he known that I was, putting on a, you know, having strippers over at the, at Minority Hall, which is his guy's place. I mean, it's, just, I mean, there's no way. I just, I, I still to this day, I'm kind of like, yeah, not coach. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's not to say that things don't happen. And, you know, he could have maybe done some things differently. He'll probably admit that. But, but I, I just don't believe he knew about it. Um, how did you get the New Mexico State job? Coach, Coach Patino. Um, basically, Reggie was there. Reggie worked for Coach and took over New Mexico State. Did a, a, a really good job and was there for, I think, a couple years. And they went to the NCAA tournament, uh, lost to Texas. And Reggie had the promotion with the Maloose. He knew those guys from the NBA. Got a chance to go work with the Sacramento Kings. Opened up New Mexico State. And obviously, he did a good job and uh McKinley Boston was the athletic director there and had a great relationship with Coach with Coach Patino. So it was a it was just a natural. It was like, all right, give me another one of your guys. Yeah. <laughs> so, Who's next? He, yeah, 
he had that kind of juice, you know. He, he did. So you get there, um, Pascal Siakam. What was what was his recruitment like? You know, it's interesting. He, uh, I, I have uh, extensive relationships internationally, both Europe, Africa, some in the Caribbean, and and I went over and saw this kid in Africa and um, had some guys that told me about him and so forth. And when he uh, when he came to the U.S., he just he wasn't he was underneath the radar because he was very very raw. Coaches, college coaches, go out they see African kids that. In high school, if they're juniors or seniors and they're not polished, then they usually move on because they, they stereotype them. They think they're, you know, well, he's not, you can't catch, they got bad hands, or they got this, or they got that. Well, the thing about Pascal, as I noticed his progression, he just kept getting better. Like every time I go see him, every time an assistant would go see him, it was, his improvement was remarkable. Uh, and then it just catapulted when he was actually with us. And we recruited him there, and he came. And uh, and then when his father passed, his motivation moved to a, a whole nother level. And it was already in an upper echelon, but I, I've never seen a – I mean, we used to have to try to kick him out of the gym so he could get rest. It was – it was. you don't come across guys like that often, and that's why he is where he is today. But but the recruitment process itself was, was pretty straightforward in the sense that just guys didn't uh, – who who – who I think he could have played at a much higher level, but but he but he developed underneath this too, and and he got playing time, and he continued to get better and better and better because he was on the floor. Had he gone too high of a level, might not have worked out. So it was a perfect fit, perfect timing, and really really happy for him. What were those big guys that you had? Those gigant, you had just gigantic, gigantic <laughs> dudes. The, the Boulard brothers, baby. The Boulard brothers, seven five and seven three. Uh, from India originally, their their heritage is from India. Their parents are from India, and uh, they were born in Canada, I believe. But uh, Sim and, and Tanvir, um, and you know, we we recruited guys like that uh, by design because our conference, the WAC, was very didn't have size, you know. But the big boys had size, right? Anybody, anytime you got to a playoff situation or tournament. You were going to go against somebody that had a, a footer or six eleven athletic dude, and and so we really concentrated on doing a good job developing and 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 recruiting big players. So we we had Chalizi Napawe, and we had Sim and Tanvir, and Pascal was only the only six nine, and but we had a bunch of six ten and six eleven dudes in my tenure that you know helped us to have a lot of success there. Yeah. Um... It's interesting, you know. You have these guys from all over the world. What's that like to coach? Right. Well, what's that? What's that like to coach? You know, I enjoy it because it, it adds another dynamic to the locker room. Where the U.S. kids are, I get myself in a in a sling here, but the but U.S. kids are wired and 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 raised in a in a culture that's much different than other cultures. They're selfish. So, they're, they're they're selfish. They're entitled. No, no, no. I, listen. I, 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 you, you I, know. Hey, hey, I'm taking the year off. I can tell the truth. Okay, yeah. They're they're just it's 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 everything's changed. You remember when? And maybe you remember this. You remember when there was the only thing on TV for sports was ABC Wild World of Sports, and the guy was crashing off on Sunday nights, crashing off the hill skiing. 
That was the beginning of the show. You might have missed that. You yeah, might, no, no, I, you know, I, 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 I remember the agony of defeat, right? Yeah, no question. Agony I of defeat. That was it. But that was it. Think about it, Doug. There were no podcasts. There were no ESPN. There was no Fox Sports and all of that stuff. That was it. We had one show for sports on Sunday night. Track and field was huge, and Olympic sports were huge, and and it was a different time, you know, and and team and unity and 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 and. Uh, you know, national pride were 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 were, were awesome, uh, and then the internet came, and then you know all of these media outlets and uh, uh, self promotional type deals. I mean, even now today in the NBA, they said LeBron versus this guy, or you know what? They don't they don't say like the good old days of Boston Lakers is. I, you know, maybe it'll come back one day, but it's gone. Those those days are not in existence, and it, and it trickled down to the to the youth. The youth were, you know, becoming my minutes, my exposure, my opportunity to play at the highest level, um, you know, and just everything that comes with the scouting and the, the, the uh, what do you call it, the AAU programs and, who, you know, kids bouncing around from AAU program to AAU program because, because of playing time. And it's just a really selfish uh, me generation. And and so to get back to the original question, there's a lot of kids that didn't grow up in that environment that were humble, hardworking, appreciative, um, that brought a different dynamic to the locker room. And uh, I thought I thought that 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 was one of the reasons that I could get if I can get these guys in the same pot, this big melting pot together that. The, the gumbo would come out come out tasting sweet and and we had some great relationships that were developed some great teammates that were developed and, and a lot of life lessons were learned as a result of me having a variety of cultures to to educate you had a ton of success there and then uh, UNLV had hired Chris Beard and he changed yep. his mind he goes to Texas Tech um, uh, you know like look it's it's one of those jobs that I'm I, I know how you're thinking at the time like UNLV, like I can, gotta take this. Yeah, you gotta take it. <laughs> right, right. But, but I also, um, I also knew know a lot about what was going on behind the scenes. You know, should you have turned it down? Like, what in hindsight? Uh, take me through your thoughts on UNLV. Well, in hindsight, if I could go back in anything, I'd probably be a multi-billionaire right now, right? Yeah. Um, but, but you have to. Everybody, specific, everybody has to learn from from the success correct. and learn from the mistakes. So to correct. say, like, I don't think in hindsight, like, I feel like people who say that that's bullshit. It doesn't mean that you right. have to live in the past, but you do have to learn from the past. Absolutely, and I learned a great deal there. I have no regrets for taking that job. I have. Uh, I'm a hundred percent. Uh, a, a rebel fan. I hope they that TJ does a, a great job and continues to win. He probably have three of my kids starting probably next year. I think Bryce will probably start. Marvin's got a chance to start, and uh, 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 Mbake Jong probably's got a chance to start. So I'll be watching those guys and pulling for them every step of the way. You know, it was a, it was yes, it was challenging situation and. I got a little bit of an ego. I thought I could. <laughs> I thought I could get in there, and it didn't matter who was was the president or who was AD. You know, they were gonna they were gonna keep me around because I was doing so well. We just didn't win enough for for their for their liking, and I, I don't hold that against Desiree at all. I think she's you know a great up and coming athletic director who has to make 
you know, had to make a tough decision. I think we, we had a great relationship and we're still, you know, we still text every once in a blue moon. And, you know, it just, it was a journey, man. It was a chapter. And I tried to get the most out of it going forward. Like you said, you try to learn from the past. And I, I don't think I'd do much differently, to be honest with you. There was a different philosophical, um, uh, different philosophical approach when I, my first year, in terms of we wanted consistency, we want to grow the program, and then there that AD gets let go, and right. the the president decides to leave. So now I got a new regime who's like, we need to win, <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, okay, wait, hold on. <laughs> but you know, at the end of the day, I understood, and I uh, you know I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, uh, that that ain't that. Come on, dude, you didn't get no. I mean, they, who gets that that little time? Uh, well, you know what? I got, I got, uh, yeah, I mean, technically it was three, but it was really two because of the first situation. I mean, the first year, but, but it, it is what it is. I, I, I mean, I, I what are you going to do? I, I, you not, know? Not, what are you going to do? I mean, you should have got a longer contract, more guaranteed at the back end. I don't know. So, okay. Uh, so there should also, there should also be more black head coaches and there should also be this and there should also be, but. Okay, so, so let me things, let me let me ask those you. Those are all things that that you gotta that you gotta work through, like you said. You know, and you gotta learn from. You gotta try to try to grow from. Okay, so let's 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 discuss. We got about like five minutes left. We, let's discuss the black head coach thing, okay? Uh, okay because sure. because it's interesting. Like I view the Pac-12 as I mean, like look, those schools are as open to hiring whomever as any. They have no black head mm-hmm. coaches. On the other hand, if I was being fair, I would say Henry Bibby and George Raveling have been the head coach at USC. Um, you know, uh, Don Newman was the interim coach, and then they've had a couple black head coaches at, at Arizona State, right? Um, right. Uh, UCLA had Larry Farmer, Walt Hazard, so it's not like they have Cal's two previous head coaches to Mark Fox were both with Conzo Martin and... Um, uh, who was the other one? Uh, who was like only lasted like two years? They're, they're both. Uh, young, he was a young guy, Louisville guy. What's his name? Um, shoot, that, that was at uh... no, at, at Cal. Who was the head coach before? Oh, oh, oh Waikie, Waikie, Waikie Jones. Jones, right? Another LA guy, but also <clears throat> yeah. a Louisville guy. Uh, you know, Romar was the head coach at UW forever before he got fired. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The the last coach at Oregon and Washington State was the same guy Ernie Kent again African American coach okay so right. but but why the why do you believe the overall number of black head coaches is so low right now when it's a sport that has given black head coaches opportunities in the past why are the numbers down instead of up well first of all I, I don't think you can look at any you have to look at every coach on his own merit sure. and see what he could bring to the table I don't think enough black coaches are getting a legitimate uh, look. So it comes back down to how many are really being considered in the, in the, in the interview process as compared to, well, we better interview a, a black coach, you know, for perception, uh, token, token interview, so to speak. But um, I think that's changing. I think the social injustice is, 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 is opening eyes across the, the country to say, hey, wait a minute, you know, maybe we need to, to operate a little bit differently and, and, and give uh, at least an opportunity. I'm not saying they should hire a coach because he's black, right? I'm saying they should hire, they should hire the, a guy that they think is capable of doing the job. Then he, and if he happens to be black, that would be great, but they're not going to know if they're not legitimately getting looked at. I mean, you got guys that, I mean, man, I mean, there's so many really good coaches that are out there even now that have great, 
career winning percentages, you know, that, that have, haven't, aren't really getting legitimately considered because of, I mean, how many times has a, as a, here's the other thing, Doug, and we only got five minutes, so actually, okay. this is, I'll probably have to call you on another time to get into this deeper because I don't want to, I don't want to just touch it and not really, you know, get my message across the right way with sure. examples and, and stuff like that. But I will just tell you this. I think that it is, it is more guys got to be considered, more African American coaches need to be considered, black coaches, whatever you want to call them, uh, need to be considered um, in, for, for, for those types of jobs. And I just don't think that has happened. Right. Um, okay, so uh, give me your give me your best Santa Monica City story. Santa Monica City story. Let me see. Oh God, man, there's several. I, I probably probably Jamie Fox. I'm running the nightclub. I'm at I'm at uh, I'm at uh, I'm at Santa Monica College, but I'm running the nightclub. I go over. And my buddy tells me, hey, man, you got to see this guy. He's going to be amazing. So a couple of my older players come with me, uh, and we go and we watch Jamie Foxx for about two hours, perform on the piano, do comedy, sing, imitations. And we were in tears for like an amaze for like an hour and 45 or so. And I'm going, who is this dude? And then... You know, history takes off after that. But I remember sitting there with my guys, going, "This is this is amazing." It's not a basketball story, but it was like, "Wow!" Like, like this is I am watching the next Richard Pryor. I'm watching the next, you know, whoever. Like right now, and I knew it. I knew it, but he wasn't popular. He paid ten bucks to get in. Uh, <laughs> last thing, you're 58. You got a beautiful wife, kids, family, house in Phoenix. You're collecting a career. Crazy check from Grand Canyon, right? Uh, you think things are good for Marvelous. You've done a lot of things. Will you Life be, is good. Will you be a head coach again? You know, that's a great question. I would go to the right situation at 58, but I wouldn't. I have, I'm not chasing it to just get back in. I have a desire to. I still have a lot left to give, obviously, and a lot left to share and teach, but, but I'm, I have to be somewhere where. You know, I would be wanted and and and, and pursued a little bit, probably. <laughs> and it's and it's good alignment. And you know, they got a chance to win their conference. They've got a, a, a stable president, athletic director, and so on and so forth. I mean, there's a lot of dynamics to go on whether I would get back in. I will say this: Brian Mueller, who's the president at Grand Canyon University, has been awesome to me and has given me great opportunities to dabble in some other things right now that are very intriguing to me that I'm that I'm doing internationally and. And I'm, I'm in a position as his assistant and kind of, kind of a special assistant to him, working with some some projects that I that I have experience and relationships with, and and that's really fun. So I'm enjoying the COVID year off, uh, but only God knows where the where the marvelous one will be in a in a year from now. All right, well, we're going to call you back. We're going to have a, a conversation. We'll have a couple other guests on with us, and we'll discuss the 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 paucity of black head coaches in Division One basketball. In the meantime, marvelous. Thanks for sharing your story. Uh, uh, great catching up with you, and we'll talk soon. You got it, brother. Take care, man. All right, thanks, Marvin. And listen, if you if you like interviews like this, check out the Doug Gottlieb Show daily, three to six Eastern time, twelve to three Pacific on on uh, Fox Sports Radio, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you download podcasts. You can download the hourly or daily. Uh, version of the show. In the meantime, next week we'll get more on the NBA, more on the Western Eastern Conference Finals, and the college basketball bubbles, which are starting to form. We'll make sure they don't pop. In the meantime, thank you so much for downloading. 
Don't forget to subscribe and to rate. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and this is All Ball. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.